You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, Merry Christmas. How are we doing tonight? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. So uh, in case you're a guest here, you're new here, we've been in this series called Think About It, where we've been thinking about what we believe, why we believe it, how you can believe in an age of skepticism. And we've said, hey, we're not just going to buy into to belief systems that our parents told us to buy into, but we want to think about things for ourselves. And we've been exploring topics like how do we know that God is for real, uh, even though we can't see him, uh, why would a good God allow suffering in the world? Um, last week, we looked at the reliability of the New Testament documents. And this week, we're going to think about Christmas. Now, when you think about Christmas, what comes to your mind? Um, maybe for some, you remember Christmases according to the gift that you received that particular year. And so what I want you to think about just for a minute is your favorite Christmas gift of all times, okay? You got it in your mind right there, your favorite Christmas gift of all times. And I want you to turn to someone next to you and tell them what your favorite Christmas gift was uh, in your whole life. Go ahead. Okay, your favorite Christmas, one Christmas gift of whole times, not every Christmas gift you've ever received in your life, okay? We're, we, we don't need all that time. So for some of you, you're having a hard time remembering, so I want to go back over some of the top-selling toys in uh, the past, what, 20 years or so. I'm going to hit just a few of those. If you go back to 2005, the top-selling Christmas toy was the Xbox 360. Anybody ever have an Xbox 360? Okay, some of you are like, yeah, I can't wait to get out of church so I can go play, right? Uh, and then others back in 2001, uh, the top-selling toy was the Bratz doll. Uh, any of you girls want to admit you had a Bratz doll? Okay. Yeah, they're kind of the hoochie mama of the doll world there is the Bratz doll there. And then if you go back to 1993, you would have had the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yes, and some of you are excited about that. If you go back to 1989, what was it? But the, the Game Boy. Yes, everybody is so excited about the Game Boy. And then if you go all the way back to 1983, what do we have here? The Cabbage Patch Kid. Did anybody have a Cabbage Patch Kid? Okay. Those things are the creepiest things I've ever seen in my life. They scare me to death. Now, when I think about Christmas for me, my favorite gift ever was my G.I. Joe, my first G.I. Joe when I was a little dude, right? Okay. Now, I know some of you are excited about that, but look, when I was a kid, you know, way back in the day, um, G.I. Joe was not a short little guy, okay? G.I. Joe was a big guy, okay? And men, we know this, that G.I. Joe was not a doll. G.I. Joe was an action figure, is what he was, right? Action figure. Dudes have action figures. And he, his hair wasn't painted on. He had, like, real legit hair. And G.I. Joe had, like, a real manly beard, which we all know every man should aspire to, right? The manly beard. And so I loved my G.I. Joe. But what I also loved about the Christmas season is every year, the Christmas TV specials. You know what I'm saying? Some of you like, like, It's a Wonderful Life and these kind of movies. But my favorite one 
was the claymation Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, okay? Do we remember Rudolph? I mean, Rudolph, the abominable snowman, Yukon Cornelius. Uh, then my, one of my favorite characters was the elf that's like, I'd like to be a dentist, you know, remember this guy? Um, but one of the things that I loved about that particular little movie was that they went to the Island of Misfit Toys, and remember the Island of Misfit Toys? They would get there, and there were these kind of defective toys, the toys that had lost hope. And Rudolph and his gang went to the island and gave hope to a group of misfits. And that's what I love about the movie, and that's what I love about City Church, is that we're kind of like the church that's the Island of Misfit Toys. In case you're new here, sometimes I joke with our congregation that God's got a lot of jacked up kids, and City Church is where we all found each other, right? So I think Mary could relate to that as well. Mary was a misfit. She was uh, a pregnant teenager, and her pregnancy didn't come the way they teach you in health class that pregnancies typically come, right, because she was a virgin. And I want you to look at what the Bible says about Mary's reflections during Christmas. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 18. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and, look, say the, the next two words with me, thought about. She thought about them often. So I'd like to submit this one Christmas idea to you today, and it's simply this. Keep Christmas in your heart and think about it often. And I want to point out three elements of the Christmas story that I'd like you to think about. Number one is simply this. Think about the predictions of Christmas. Think about the predictions of Christmas. And so what I'm going to do to illustrate this is I need someone to volunteer for me. Could someone just raise your hand and volunteer? Okay. Yeah, right here. Gavin, go ahead and stand up there. Okay. And I'm just going to ask you some simple questions. It's not going to be like Bible trivia. It's not going to be uh, astrophysics or anything like that. But just tell me what uh, city you were born in, Gavin. Where? Kaufman, Texas. Do you remember the hospital? Kaufman Hospital. I guess that would be appropriate for Kaufman, Texas. Tell me one thing that you like about your mom. She's got a beautiful heart. Isn't that all the mom said? Ah, okay. <laughs> And then tell me the names of three of your relatives that are older than you. Okay. Okay. Very good. Okay, would you guys thank Gavin for playing along with me and take a seat? So let's just say there was a book that was established hundreds of years before Gavin ever lived. And that book made all the predictions about his life, that he would be born in Kaufman, Texas, that his mother would have a great heart, um, and the names of these relatives of his that are older than him. Wouldn't that make you wonder about that book and the spirituality and legitimacy of that book? Well, that's precisely what happened with Jesus at his birth. I want to show you a few of the Old Testament predictions. It was predicted that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. That happened. It was predicted that he would be born of a virgin. Also happened. It was predicted that there would be children that were killed around the time of Jesus' birth. That happened. It was predicted that he would be the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
and King David. All of those things happened. In fact, there are over 350 predictions that were made about Jesus that were well-established in the Old Testament of the Bible hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, and all of them were fulfilled in his life. Therefore, this book is special, and we should think about it and consider it. But let me show you a second thought I want you to consider during Christmas. Think about his entrance and welcoming committee. You can learn a whole lot about a person or a leader by the way he or she makes an entrance and who he or she includes in the group. So when rock stars enter the stage, they have like laser light shows go off and explosions, and they have a green room for all the cool kids to come in and be a part. And then politicians, they have their big rallies, and they include their big donors in the special seats, you know, who are the cultural elites and the rich. Well, how did Jesus make his entrance, and who did he include in the group? Well, when Jesus was coming into the world, you know who found out about it first? Shepherds. And I want to show you what shepherds looked like. Those of you who are 16 years old and younger, I want you to just stand up right now. 16 and younger. Go ahead and stand up. And see all the people that are standing up right now? This is exactly what shepherds would look like in the Middle East back in those days and even today. Let's thank our kids for standing up, little shepherds there. Now, according to a biblical backgrounds scholar and expert Ray Vanderlaan, uh, in the Bedouin culture, in Jesus' day, the women typically did most of the work, okay? Some of the women are like, yeah, some things have never changed, right? <laughs> but what would happen is there would be an older man in charge of things, and he would sit and chill underneath a shade tree while women did some work, and the kids would tend to the flocks and the herds. So uh, I brought a picture from Nazareth, and at the bottom left-hand corner of the picture, you can see my wife Jeannie and I with the uh, overseeing shepherd, and he's basically chilling. And then you can see in the upper right-hand corner the younger boys that were taking care of his particular flock. The other pictures you see there are some teenage girl shepherds uh, in uh, Israel uh, in modern days because it still works that way in the Bedouin culture. And what I want you to think about is this. Okay, when you um, look at manger scenes and you see the shepherds there, they always look like long-bearded Jedi or something like that. But really, in the real story of Christmas, it would have been young people tending to the flocks. And listen, young people, don't you ever let anyone tell you that God can't speak to you and use you just as much as he uses older and more experienced people. But another thing I want you to think about um, regarding Christmas is think about the time and the place. Now, most scholars agree that Christmas did not take place on December the 25th like we celebrate it. And I'll save that information for another conversation and another service. Um, But the Bible tells us that Jesus was born um, while the shepherds were out in their fields. And the word fields there is a specific word about farm fields. So there's only one section of the year in which they would have been out in the farm fields with their sheep, right? And that time could have been around September. And that would have placed Jesus' birth happening during the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. In fact, Jewish people celebrate 
the Tabernacles Feast, even today, they'll set up uh, tents in their backyard to remember the time when God was in the tabernacle and revealing himself to them. Um, but here's what this fulfills is John chapter 1, verse 14. So the word became human and made his home or literally tabernacled among us. And what I want you to think about is that the God who designed the cosmos, the brilliant God who put together our solar system and created our planet and our sun and created the complexities of the human body, he came down to live among us. He came down to rescue you. The story of history is the story of God coming closer. In the Old Testament, he was in the tabernacle and the temple, and only the priests could go into the Holy of Holies. Then Jesus came and walked among us as God. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, he sent the Holy Spirit to live within us. And so God now indwells those who have believed in Jesus. And someday we will see him face to face as our hearts desire. But history is God coming closer, and he's coming closer and closer to you. And for some of you, he's drawn you here to this place at this specific time for his specific reasons. Now, another thing I want you to think about is what type of place he would come into, and that is a stable. I brought a picture of a stable in Bethlehem. We think of the stable as a wooden structure like a barn, but many believe it could have been like a cave. And this picture, these two pictures that you see is in Bethlehem now where shepherds would take their sheep into the cave. They would have many fires in there, so there would be a lot of soot on the ceiling. It would stink from um, all the animals' dung on the floor. Uh, there would be flies buzzing around because it's September, and uh, it was not the cleanest place. You know, Mary and Joseph didn't cash in on their Obamacare or their HMO to uh, go birth Jesus in a place where Mary could, like, have her epidural and all of that, but it was a cave with sheep dung on the floor. Why would he do this? Because he cares about you. And I read a story that helped this land on my heart. It comes from a book called Mortal Lessons by a surgeon named Dr. Richard Selzer who explains experiences he's had in the operating room and in hospitals that helped him get glimpses of God. Dr. Selzer tells a story of a couple. He had operated on the wife. They were a young couple. And in the surgery, he had to remove a tumor from her cheek. And he cut very, very carefully on her cheek to remove this tumor. But in order to get it out, he had to cut a nerve. And because he cut the nerve, it caused her face to sag. And it looked uh, deformed almost, sagging. But what the doctor was moved by was when he saw this young woman and her husband staring at each other in the lamp-lit room. He was moved by their love, their gaze. It's like they were in another world together, and their touch was so generous with each other. The wife speaks up, and she says, Doctor, will my face always be like this? And he said, unfortunately, yes, because the nerve was cut. And the husband looks down at her, with love in his eyes, and he says, I think it's kind of cute. And he reaches down to kiss her, and Dr. Selzer is so close. 
he can notice how this husband contorts his lips to match hers so that he could show her that their kiss still works. And look, that is what Christmas is about, is that Jesus came into our reality, was born in a manger, in a stable, and allowed his body to be twisted and contorted to show you and I that the love of God still works. Ponder that and keep that in your heart. And did you know that God brought some of you here this evening so that you would embrace the truth of the gospel, the truth that God's love is for you, that his death on the cross was for you, and he's drawn you here, and you just thought you were coming to a place for some good cheer with family or friends, but the God of the universe planned out the steps of your life that he would adopt you into his loving family in the next few moments. So with that in mind, I'd like you to bow for prayer. And as we bow, those of you that know Christ and walk in his spirit, I'd like you to begin praying now silently that God by his spirit would move, that the Holy Spirit would feel welcome among us. And for some of you, the reality of the gospel is resonating with your soul so, so much that it's time for you to pray and begin a relationship with God. So I want you to pray something in your own heart just between you and God, something like this. God, look, I know I've sinned. And right now, the best I know how, the best I understand it, I choose to believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was contorting himself to show me that the love of God still works. He died there to take the penalty for my sin. And I welcome you into my life, God. Thank you for coming in. For the rest of us, we say, God, we do not take for granted your gospel. And as we observe the ordinance of baptism this evening, we see people born of water and the Spirit. We see people going under, symbolizing that they've died with Jesus. And when they come up out of the water, God, we thank you that it symbolizes that they're raised to walk a new resurrection life that is different, that is changed, where they care about the things that move your heart. We thank you for the goodness that you've brought into our lives and our hearts today. And we pray it in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said... Amen. Now, I want you to stay tuned in to me for just a minute. Because if you just prayed to begin a relationship with Christ, I want to challenge you to do something today. I want to challenge you to get up from your seat, go back to the lobby, and get signed up to be baptized. We have a few people that are already signed up. And those of you that are already signed up, I want you to come right down here 
to the left-hand side of the stage and get lined up so that you're ready to be baptized right now. I think maybe there were two or three that were already signed up, perhaps. That means there's more space for those of you that have prayed to begin a relationship with Christ this evening that you could be baptized. Or if you prayed to receive Christ at any time in your life and you've never taken the first step of obedience, which is baptism, I want to challenge you to do it. Tonight on Christmas Eve, there would be nothing that would please Jesus more than for you to be obedient to Him tonight. Look, whenever a young woman is engaged, the most natural thing for her to do is show off her engagement ring. And when you have received Christ into your life, the most natural thing for you to do is to tell other people about it by being baptized. And so let's watch and applaud when we see people go under the waters and come up. Let's watch in amazement the beautiful multi-sensory experience the Bible calls baptism. And so, Lord, we say thank you. We're blown away by all the awesome and amazing things you're doing among us. Lord, sometimes I feel like you're going to wear out my arms baptizing people around here, and I thank you for that because I know the stories of some who have gone into these waters, and they're changing right before our eyes because of the power of Jesus and the power of Christmas and a God who is willing to move down among us, to move where we live into our neighborhood and draw us near. And for that, we give you thanks, glory, and honor. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.